so the scripture says of itself, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the division or the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. When you read the Bible, you should be looking for God to speak to you. Now, in order for us to verify that what we're reading is actually for us and that we're reading accurately, we need to understand the context and we need to understand the, uh, the original audience uh, that the, uh, the particular text was written to. We can't just pull verses uh, out of context and paste them into our timeline on our social media and say, yep, that's my verse for the day. If you don't understand where it's coming from, you don't understand who it was speaking to originally, then you can't appropriately apply it. So I've seen people go two directions with the Bible. There are people that just kind of see it as an old history book. And maybe they think that's important or maybe they think it's not important. And then there are people that kind of use it almost like, uh, I don't know, somebody that is a pagan would, would use divination, right? They're just kind of you know, stretching out there and trying to find some sort of a message for themselves. Well, I think that you should be looking for God to speak to you in the Word, uh, in the Bible. But this is why we have Bible teachers like myself and like Pastor Craig. We're trying to, to help you to understand what the Bible said to the original hearers. We're trying to help you to understand all these different contexts so that then when you get into the Scripture yourself, then you will be able to understand how to apply that to your own life. Now, beyond that, each and every one of us needs to be filled with God's Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the Scripture. That's what the Scripture says of itself also, that the, the Word of God is inspired. It's God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the, the person of God may be equipped for every good work. So the Word of God is inspired. It's God-breathed. The same Spirit who inspired the Word will quicken it, enliven it, illuminate it to you if you'll open your mind and open your heart and say, God, I want you to speak to me. Now, that's what Pastor Craig just prayed earlier. Hopefully you agreed with him in prayer. Hopefully you're in agreement now that you're not just watching a guy stand up here and talk to you or persuade you, but you are going to seek to understand the Word of God. Now, I'm going to enter back into a text of Scripture today um, from the prophet Haggai. We started last Sunday, and uh, last Sunday was kind of peculiar. We, uh, the entire square was shut down, and we had a car show out there. So, uh, and plus there was a, a fall break, and some people were on vacation doing different things and so forth. So what I would like to do, if you will uh, permit me to do so, is to read last week's uh, verses I'm not going to comment on them except briefly because I want you to take this in context, right? But what I'm going to show you today, the, the verses that I'm going to concentrate on today were actually prophesied exactly 2,501 years ago today. And you're going to see that in just a moment. But let's look at last week's uh, passage. Now, if you have your own copy of Scripture, and by the way, I would advise you to, to get a good Bible app for your phone. I've got the New Living Translation here, but I brought this, uh, the Bible app up on my phone because I wanted to uh, make a comment on another translation of this passage. And so I brought that up. But it's great uh, if you get the YouVersion Bible app. That's the one I rec recommend, which if you type Bible into your app store or whatever you're your, uh, wherever you get your apps. Uh, usually the first one that will show up will be version, 
or the Bible app. If you go on a, uh, a computer, you can just type in Bible.com and it will come up. But uh, there are multiple translations available to you for free. So it's awesome. Now, um, I am not going to have the passage up here like normal. So it would be important for you to go ahead and bring this up or pay very close attention. Right. Um, so uh, let's go back up to Haggai. And if you're looking this up in your in your Bible, it's it's almost to the very end of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then you bounce into the New Testament with Matthew. So it's a little tiny two-chapter book uh, right at the end of your Old Testament. Here it is, Haggai chapter 1. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses, paneled houses is what it says in the original, while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in you, and pleasure in it, excuse me, and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought out when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and that the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. Then Serubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21 of the second year of King Darius's reign. Now, the New Living Translation, as far as I know, is the only one that gives these actual dates like this. Because in the original, uh, it will say, uh, okay, for instance, uh, in Haggai 1.1, the New Living says on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign. In Hebrew, it says on the first day of the sixth month. Now, that was in the Hebrew lunar calendar. But what the New Living translators did is they went back and they compared this to ancient Persian uh, documents and they saw uh, when King Darius reigned and they said, okay, well, that was 520 BC or BCE, the way they say it these days. And they co coordinated and correlated that ancient calendar with our calendar. And as the result, they've come up with this, uh, with this precise date, 
which I think is really super cool. Um, because what we see is that this is not just something that's made up. This really happened, right? As uh, C.S. Lewis was fond of saying, uh, the Bible is uh, mythology that really happened, right? It is, it is something that is, is grand in scope and has uh, these powerful images, but these things actually happen. This is, this is bound up with history. So what we're seeing is that on August 29th of 520 BC, then the uh, prophet Haggai spoke these things. Now, very briefly, I, I read that whole passage because it's, it's pretty straightforward. But as I said last week, the temple today is not a building. Now, we need to maintain this building, and I have been uh, really, really praying and, and asking you to support us so that we can stay in this building, this historic building that we have. We have a, a number of obligations that we have to live up to in order to stay in this building. So, yes, we need you to tithe, and we need you to support the, the ministry here because we need a place where we can gather. That's the church, the people that are called out from the world and called together. And so here you are this morning, you have gathered with us. You are being the church. But see, the church is actually the temple, right? The temple is God's people called together. Um, you are the bricks. You are the timber that is building this temple that is being erected to worship the Lord. And we could kind of say, really, the Holy Spirit is the mortar. He's the one that holds us all together, right? So look at this wall over here to my left and to your right. And you see all those bricks. That's you. You see all the mortar in between the bricks. That's the Holy Spirit. And then there's some where the mortar's missing. And that's some of you that need to be filled with the Spirit. All right. Um, you should laugh at that. I'm sorry. It's... <laughs> You know, I, I know this is serious, but on occasion, on occasion. So um, the church all over the world is under attack, sustained attack. Who would have thought that the pandemic would be something that would cause so much disruption in worship? But it has. Uh, I've mentioned this a number of times. I mentioned it last week. But uh, the Barna Research Group said that at the end of the pandemic, one in five churches wouldn't even reopen their doors. Now, the Lord has sustained us through the pandemic, and it's been difficult. We've had some very, very lightly attended Sundays. But on the whole, we've been able to, uh, you know, to afford going forward. Um, you have supported the ministry and continued uh, to, to be a part of it in one way or another. But there are churches like ours or churches larger than ours or churches of various denominations that are struggling. And I will be quite honest with you, it's difficult here some Sundays because people are in and out. Our attendance is up and down. And through the pandemic, although we have, we have uh, sustained, been sustained financially, the, the finances have gone up and down as well. And up to this point, our landlords have been very tolerant of us, but they have uh, made it very clear that that tolerance is gone. We have to be 100%. And so what I'm hoping that you'll see today is that the Lord wants to rebuild his church. Amen. And his church is you. He wants to build you. He wants to build you up personally. Right. The scripture says in first Corinthians chapter six, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what I said last week is it's kind of like you're you're kind of like a chapel. Right. So you go and you go to these little chapels that you can worship and, you know, enjoy God's presence or whatever. But God wants to build a grand temple. And that's all of us gathered together. We can't be scattered all over the place all the time and form that temple to worship. 
we have to find times to gather. Most churches do that on Sunday, and most churches in this part of the world do that on Sunday morning. We've tried to meet at other times, but Sunday morning seems to be the time that everybody thinks they need to go to church if they're going to go. Even people that don't go to church still think they, if they were to go, they would go on Sunday morning. So really, a church could gather at any time and be the church. But here we are on Sunday morning, and we are gathered as the church. We are gathered as that temple. And so you back up a couple of chapters in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Do you not know that you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then it goes on to say, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. So we need to not be in the business of attacking the church. If you're in a church and things aren't going the way you want them to go, then pray for God to lead you where you do need to be, but don't attack those folks because that's not going to put you in a good position with the Lord, right? So we are the temple. So what I'm going to say is this passage of scripture uh, from Haggai, if we're going to apply it to us today, it's not going to be applied to a building or building a building. It's going to be applied to building God's house, which is the church. Now, let's just dig a little further into the history here. And I think that we'll see some comparisons that will be valuable as well. The people of Israel had been divided between northern and southern kingdom, the northern ten tribes and the, the southern two tribes. The southern two tribes were uh, Benjamin and Judah and then the other ten tribes. Assyria came in and destroyed the northern kingdom, which had been com turned completely pagan, and God brought this foreign army in to destroy them because they weren't worshiping Yahweh anymore. So he said, my protection is not with you. I'm just going to let these people come in and take over. Well, they, they came in, they destroyed the northern uh, kingdom, they dispersed those tribes, and they never returned. They never became God's people again. But in the south, the same thing started happening. They started turning away from Yahweh and worshiping false gods. So God brought another nation in. The northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians. But uh, 150 years later, God brought another nation in called the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. And they destroyed Jerusalem. They tore down the temple and they took the people of Judah captive. Now, they maintained their identity. And they maintained their identity as worshipers of Yahweh, even though they were dispersed, they were taken out of their land. And God promised through Jeremiah that they would be returned to their land after 70 years of captivity. And that's where that very famous verse that some of you have heard uh, is. It's a letter that Jeremiah wrote to these captives. And uh, in the letter, uh, Jeremiah relates that the Lord says, um, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans not for calamity, but plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, you can apply that to yourself if you understand the original context. First of all, they were taken captive for 70 years. Well, you know, that's really like being down here on earth, right? In many respects. And during that time, they were told to invest in the cities where they were and to look for the welfare of the city where they were uh, because that's where they were going to live for 70 years. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. Well, God says he's going to, he, he has made a place for you. Jesus said he'd gone to prepare a place for you in heaven, right? And that's the ultimate home for every person that believes in the Lord Jesus is we have a place in heaven. Jesus said, I, I go to prepare a place for you and he's gone to prepare a place for you. So while we're down here on earth, we need to look out for the welfare of our city, right? If that's, you know, Saxe or Wiley or Richardson or Rowlett or, or, you know, wherever you're from or here in Garland. 
And we're going to look out for the, the welfare of our city because as it is, as it prospers, so we will prosper. But we don't see that our first citizenship is here. We're looking for God to return us to that home. And we already begin to rest in that on the inside. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that rest that we have is that we do have a place prepared for us, right? So I'm trying to help you to understand how we can compare our lives to what was happening with Israel. Because the Apostle Paul, again in Corinthians, says, these things happen to them as examples for us upon whom the end of the ages has come, right? So the people did return to their land after a period of 70 years. And Haggai begins to make this prophecy in 520 uh, BC. But he continues with the prophecy. The people responded, right? They were focused on themselves. They were focused on their own lives. They were focused on their own homes. Does it sound like anybody that you know? I mean, here we have, we've come through all of this difficulty recently, right? The, you know, summer before last, the protests that were just, just uh, destroying the country and then the political unrest that we endured for really four years of the previous president. And, and if you look at what's happening with this president, we still have this political unrest that's going on. And then there, you know, there's the pandemic and we're still, you know, kind of lurching through that and dealing with supply chain interruptions and inflation and all these other sorts of things. Um, we're having to look to our own needs and our own families because we're concerned that those needs are not going to be met. Well, these people were the same. They had been in Babylon for 70 years. They had agreed to come back and their land was completely destroyed. It was decimated. Man, when they returned, the, the people that returned to Jerusalem found that, you know, the walls of the city had been torn down and the temple had been completely torn down and destroyed. And all of the articles of the temple had been taken. Well, they were permitted to bring the articles of the temple that were found back with them, but it was just in a heap of ruins. Well, so what they did when they came back is they built an altar and they offered sacrifices on the altar, right? They started to try to return to worship, but there was really no place for them to worship. They said, eh, we're going to go home and work on our own stuff. And Haggai says, yeah, but you need to pay attention to the Lord's temple. And so they said, they said, okay, we will. We, we see what's happening here. We're focused on ourselves rather than focusing on the Lord. And we're working hard, but it's like putting money in pockets with holes in it. Nothing is prospering. Now, I don't know, you know how things are going with you financially, but I got news for you. The Bible says, seek first your own needs. No, what does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you as well. Yes, you do have needs, but God is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory when you pay attention to him. Amen. When you acknowledge him in all of your ways. And that includes putting focus on building the temple, which today is God's church. And we are a local expression of that. And we are in real need of rebuilding. So I will let you take a look at that passage in Haggai uh, as you would like to. I invite you to take a look at uh, the message from last week. It's online uh, if you go to the YouTube channel and, uh, and find it there. But I want to hit you with just seven verses very quickly this week. And this is, this is some very powerful stuff. So in the original, and I got to go over here, facial ID, I had to turn down so that we'll, right, open up. 
so this is NLT, and you know it's going to give you the exact date. So I want to give you, I want to give you the original uh, Hebrew of verse 1 of Haggai 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Do you know what the 21st day of the seventh month translates into? What is today's date? Then, on October 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Yep, exactly 2,501 years ago today, this message came to God's people. Can you pay attention? Is it possible? Is it providentially possible that God would say this to us today? 2,501 years to the day later? Did I plan this? Oh, I did. <laughs> but I wanted to preach from this, uh, this, this book about a month or two months ago when I first encountered it again. And uh, it seemed appropriate that I would wait. And then when I looked, the dates just corresponded. They, they really did. I did plan it, but at the same time, I didn't. Then on October 17th of that same year, that would have been 520 BC, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. It must seem like nothing at all. Verse 4. But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Amen? So let's just look at these verses. He asks, who is left who saw this temple in its former glory? I, I wonder if any of you attended church in, in years past when church was really important to people, when people were there and they were enthusiastic, when they were raising their hands and raising their voices. And, and you know, when uh, I can remember, you know, the Billy Graham crusades all over the world. I had the privilege of uh, attending, I think, Billy Graham's final meeting that he held at the old Texas Stadium back in uh, 2006, or I think it was 2006. Um, and by then he was older and he was having a hard time standing up. But, you, you know, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, look him up. You know, the, the, the gospel was important at one point in this country. Church was important to people. Do you realize that churches used to meet on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and that people actually came? Do you realize that there was a time when no one would have dared plan a sport on a Sunday or a Wednesday because churches were meeting? 
Is that the case today? Nobody cares, man. We're a pagan culture. This is an anti-Christian culture. I warn you, if you're God's people, don't fall in line with that. At some point, you've got to hold up what is important and say there are limits and I'm not going to cross these limits. There are times when I need to be gathered together with God's people. And I hope that you have time in your home where you gather together as a family and pray together or have Bible study together and that you don't let anything ingress on that. So there was a time when church was important and I just don't see that very much today. Church seems to be, it's kind of like an entertainment. It's sort of like going to the movies. Uh, you know, maybe we'll go, maybe we won't go. Well, we have other plans. We've got this going on and that going on. I got news for you folks. You, you, gotta, you gotta take time out and you've got to plan that time aside time for yourself personally to have devotion with the Lord spend time in the morning with him time to be in church time to spend with your family we just don't see how that is important we need to rebuild that we need to get back to work because if I look at the church today I've got to agree with what uh, Haggai was insinuating it seems like nothing by comparison when I look at the church today it seems like nothing by comparison even the churches that have got all the bells and whistles and smoke machines and lights and you know people jumping up and down and you know really bright displays behind them it's just surface that's what it is it's surface right it's just entertainment but God's people are not just about entertainment. We are here to be, be the people of God on earth. Number two uh, in, in the scripture, he says, take courage, be encouraged and work for I am with you, declares the Lord. Take courage and work. You know, sometimes it requires courage just to go out your front door, doesn't it? I mean, these days, if you pay attention to the news, everything's scary. You know, you're just assuming that you're just going to die at any moment. And, you know, all this drama is going on. And, you know, it may be in your personal life. There's just so many things that are going on. You just would like to just lock the doors and stay inside and have everybody leave you alone. We already did that. Remember when we were all locked in? Yeah, yeah I remember that. Shelter inside and all of that. We should figure out that we got to go outside the front door. we got to have courage, though. And that's where that word encouragement comes from, all right? To be filled with courage. God will give you courage. Haggai is saying, take courage, be encouraged, receive courage. All through this pandemic, all through these difficulties we've been having, I've been trying to encourage you. I've been trying to fill you with resolve to try to inspire some form of enthusiasm with you. You need to be encouraged. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do. And then he says, what's the result of that? That we just jump around at church, okay? And that's great. I, I love my little dancer down here. She's my favorite, all right? Uh, Annalie, and she's my fancy dancer. And, uh, and I love that. And I hope you jump around and raise your hands. Or if you're not that kind of person, then I hope you just do what you do, but that you genuinely participate. I think that that's really, really important. But it can't stop there. You can't walk out the back door and then just do nothing about what you've heard here or what you've received here right? I need to get to work. Now, some of you are already workers. And so you're like, that's right. That's right. And you, I'm not trying to get you to work more. Some of you need to learn to rest. That's what needs to happen, right? You need to take some time out and rest. But some of us need to get to work. And I'm guaranteeing you in this church, we need you to get to work. There is no question about it. We are in need of people to step up and step out and to start leading and to start being the church. And you're already here, 
Uh, believe it or not, a big part of this is just being here. And you might feel like, well, I'm just showing up and I'm just sitting in a chair and whatever. Listen, when you're here, it encourages other people. Do you realize that? I can't tell you how many times I've had visitors come into this church and I love y'all, but you're tardy people on the whole. Our people just love to show up, you know, that's like, well, isn't our service still at 1111? We haven't been in 1111 in, you know, a long time, but some of us just roll it. Now, if you got here late today, I'm not trying to, you know, load you up with a, a, a bunch of baggage, right? Uh, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. Not trying to do that. But I'm trying to say that's kind of the way we are. So sometimes visitors show up and, you know, they show up early. They're like 10 minutes early. There was a lady a couple weeks ago. She showed up and she came right down here. I think Miss Mary and I were here. And she looked around and she said, oh, when does the service start? I said, oh, it starts at 11. She was here at about 1140 or uh, 1045. And she said, oh, oh, okay. And so, you know, I said, don't worry. I said, they'll be here, but probably not at exactly 11 o'clock. They might be here a little late. So she went down to Rosaline and then she showed up about 10 minutes late. And then, you know, y'all were here. But there are times, especially through this, this difficulty with the pandemic, that it's like there's nobody here. And, but I, visitors come, but they look around, and we have a fantastic band, and we have an amazing Bible preacher. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so that, that went over really well. They all just stare at me. But you need to be here. Because when we're here and we're participating, there is a magnification of the, the spirit, right? It's not just the spirit in one person. It's the magnified presence of the spirit in all of these people. Uh, in fact, in Psalm 22, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. God sits enthroned upon the, the praises of his people. So what needs to happen is you need to be here just like you are this morning. But then you need to participate. You need to be a part. So when we're singing, you need to sing. And, you know, when there's a, a time for an amen, you need to amen. And you just need to participate and be a part of this because it's about more than me. It's about more than just you, right? It's about all of us joining together. And then, you know, we have this time of welcome. Step outside of your comfort zone and go across the aisle and meet some people and greet them and say, welcome to our church. Amen. Oh, good. I got an amen. That was good. I'm not going to crack any more jokes, though, because y'all are not in a humorous mood this morning at all. Right. And then um, he says, Haggai says, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Gosh, there's so much cause for fear today. And as I mentioned to you, the threats that have come against our church and staying in this building have been a cause for fear for me for the first time in I can't remember how long that I actually experienced this fear. And as we approach the end of the month, I'm like, okay, we gotta have, you know, gotta raise the rent for this and so forth. So there's this temptation to have anxiety and to have fear. But here we have Haggai saying, do not fear. And I love this because um, there is the a, a an allusion to what the Lord said through Moses to the people of Israel when they were coming up against the Red Sea, right? So they finally got Pharaoh, uh, they didn't do anything. The Lord finally pressured Pharaoh to release them from slavery. And they took this desert road and it put them right in front of the Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds. And so they were trapped because here came the Egyptians right behind them. And those Egyptians were threatening to, uh, you know, to kill them, to destroy them, to take them captive, to bring them back to the land. But the Lord had worked hard to set them free from slavery. And so 
God said to Moses, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of your God. For the Egyptians that you, you see today, you will never see again. I wonder, are you standing before your own Red Sea and you're like, the pressure is coming in behind you and there seems to be nowhere to go? What did God do? You know the story, right? He parted the Red Sea. He opened it up in the middle and the people walked right across on dry ground. The Lord said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of your God. I wonder if that's a word for you today. I wonder, can you receive a word? Can you hear that maybe, just maybe, I'm saying something from God's word that is actually for you today, right now, here? That we're, we're seeking to allow the Holy Spirit to quicken this to us so that it becomes a word for us. So the Holy Spirit is saying, if you receive it, do not fear. Stand firm and you will see God's salvation. So here it is. Um, Haggai told them, take courage and work. I am with you, says the Lord. My spirit is abiding in your midst, so don't fear. That's why we don't fear. And then, uh, this is very important, and I'm going to conclude with this. He says, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land. So we've been shaken. Now, I want to, uh, I want you to hear something from Hebrews, this is uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, references this verse where it says that God is gonna shake the nations. He's gonna shake the heavens. Listen to how um, the book of Hebrews interprets this. This is Hebrews 12, 26 and 27. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Now, he was talking about the giving of the law. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. We've been shaken. Now, I think this is appropriate. In the fall, we have a tree right outside the, the doors of, of this building, right? And leaves are constantly falling from that tree. So what happens when you, let's say the tree is small enough for you to shake, when it's the fall and you've got those leaves on the tree that are ready to come off, what happens when you shake the tree? Yeah. The only thing that doesn't fall off of that tree is what's firmly attached to it, and that would be the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus said very clearly that two things were going to happen to those branches, and you and I are those branches that one, those branches were gonna get pruned so they would bear more fruit, right? So there's things that are in our lives that need to be cut off, that need to be pruned. We can't do everything. We can't go everywhere. I want your kids to be involved in everything you'd like for them to be involved in, but they can't be involved in everything all at once. You need to kind of really plan, right? Because you just end up running from one activity to the next activity to the next activity to the next activity. And then I'm wondering, what are you doing for your child's spiritual development? Yes, they're in sports. Yes, they're in music. Yes, they're in gymnastics. Yes, they're in karate. But what are you doing for their spiritual development? Are you spending time with them? You know, we, we've got a nice program here for your kids, but once a week is just not going to cut it, man. Um, 
who've got some, some great new children's ministry coordinators that are coming on. Beth is one of them sitting right over here. Uh, she has a tremendous amount of experience. And uh, so, yeah, she's worked with kids, so I know she knows what's coming because uh, it's coming down, right? But that's not enough. We're going to try. We're going to do our best to provide uh, some opportunities for your kids to grow, but it's on you. You need to do that. You need to spend focused time with your kids so that uh, they will receive from you. You know who the primary Bible study teacher for your kid is supposed to be? You, parent. You. That means you need to be a Bible student, right? Now, sometimes I used to substitute teach a lot, and sometimes I was reading ahead in the lesson just a few pages in front of the kids that I was supposed to be teaching. You know, and sometimes it might be like that. You know, you're so busy and you're scrambling around and you're trying to do all this stuff, but you're, you're learning. You're a student of the Word, and then you are seeking to teach your children the Word. We need to be about the business of bringing these kids up because the world is shaking, friends. And what's going to shake loose are people that are not firmly rooted in Jesus. And I'll be honest, young teenagers, you're the ones that are really being shaken. Right? So I'm looking at, at, at four beautiful girls in this church that I have known, all of you all, since you were born, literally. I've seen you come up in this church, but I used to be a youth minister. I know that there are challenges for you right now, serious challenges to your faith, serious challenges to your life. You're getting shaken. The question is, are you going to let go or are you going to hang on? Because I can guarantee you, if you have any faith in Jesus at all, he's going to hang on to you. But you have to reciprocate. You have to take responsibility for your own faith. Your mom's faith is not your faith. You have your own faith or not, right? Your mom and dad's faith, Jamie, is not your faith. You have to have your own faith. You have to, it has to be yours. You have to own it, right? And it's going to be unique to you. And then that means that when you have friends, when you have friends, when you have friends, you can uniquely share with those friends from that perspective that you have right? What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to love these teenagers, to love these kids, and to encourage them. But parents, you're the number one person that's responsible for that, right? It's a big responsibility, but you decided to have them, so there you go. <laughs> Nonetheless, there's a shaking going on, and those that don't belong and those that are not a part are going to get shaken loose. But you know, here's the interesting thing. This is the promise that's in this passage in Haggai 2. God's church is going to remain and those that have not been shaken loose are going to come into God's church and they are going to bring the treasures of the nations. They're going to bring their resources in, their time, their talent, their treasure, and they're going to fill this house with their glory. Now, it's interesting because um, there is another way of, of translating this that says, and the desired of nations will come. And if you read your old King James or even the new King James, it says they will come to the desired of nations, right? So the desire of nations, I think in that context, and this is the way it's always been preached, is Jesus, right? We've clung to Jesus. We've hung on to Jesus and we come together as God's children and God's people 
and we magnify the presence of Jesus in the midst of the congregation and the glory of this house is greater than any glory of a previous temple because the living Lord Jesus Christ is here in our midst. Amen. And people are going to be drawn to that. Right. I don't want to throw up a dog and pony show. Sure. I want us to have fun stuff. We'll have the fall uh, festival, carnival, whatever we're calling it next week. And it'll be fun. And we'll eat a lot of chili. I might even cook some chili and we'll eat it. And, and we're going to do stuff like that. We're going to have meals and, and fellowships and stuff like that. But it's not about all those bells and whistles. It's about us lifting up the name of Jesus. Amen. It's about us caring for each other's needs. That's what it means to be the church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus down here on earth. So I don't know what the Lord has said to you today, but I will tell you that it is important for us as God's people to build the church, to be a part of that. I'm not asking you to, uh, you know, to make that your, your, your sole responsibility. You need to take care of your family. But I am telling you that the promise of the word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you as well. God will accomplish all that concerns me, it says in Psalm 138, because I'm trusting him. I think I need to accomplish everything that concerns me. But the Lord says, no, I will accomplish what concerns you. You know what? This is something really cool that I noted one time from a devotional that I read. Jesus sent the 12, right? He called the 12 apostles and then he sent them out. And after he sent them out, do you know what it says he did? He went and preached and taught and healed in all of their cities. So the Lord may send you out. The Lord may call you to do something but he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for your children. He's going to provide for your needs because you've chosen to put him first in your life. And I want to see this church grow. It's going to be very important.